You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. It's good to be home, and it's good to be back here in this place. And it's neat to see so many new faces uh, that I haven't met yet being gone the last two weekends. I hope that we can meet each other before the end of the hour. Maureen, will you stand for us back there? Welcome, Maureen Lucas Gagdon. Thank you, Lucas, and congratulations on your graduation. Very proud of you. Very proud of you. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, turn with me in your Bible to Judges chapter 13. Judges is located in the Old Testament right towards the front of your Bible. You're going to see uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And Judges comes in order of the way that God would reach out to his nation, people like you and me, people that he chose to be set apart, people who would be devoted to him, who would fully disclose the image of the invisible God to the entire world. And so in Judges chapter 13, we see God's first effort to lead his people back to him. You remember the story of the Israelites. They would be following God, serving God, representing God well, and then things would go well for them and they would fall away. And one of the first things that God did was he sent judges to lead them back. Later there would be prophets, later there would be kings, and others chosen to lead the people back. And here it was the judges. Now, before we dive into this, silence your phones, grab your bulletin so you can make a few notes, but please open your Bible to Joshua or yeah, to Judges 13. Now, uh, one of the things that I want to, to, to do this morning is I, I want you to raise your hand on this, and please, this isn't an embarrassing thing, I want you to acknowledge something this morning. If you have received a personal card, a card, uh, whether it was after your first visit here or when you were sick or in the hospital, when you had a child, when you had something happen in your life, if you received a card signed Memphis Christian Church, every once in a while you would see the name Linda Taylor associated with that card, a, a scripture passage, but just some warm words. I want you to raise your hand for me. Linda Taylor, yeah, thank you. Linda Taylor. Linda, who passed this past week, 70 years old, we celebrated her life yesterday, she made her mark by simply sending cards, cards to everyone that she knew about. Every one of you that have visited this church, been a part of this family, for any time at all, Linda remembered you. And I thank you for remembering her and her family yesterday as you brought food and as you came out. Uh, to her memorial service. Well, when you hear the word strong, when you hear the word strong, who is the first person that, that comes to your mind? If asked to name the strongest person, uh, who would that be in your life? Who? The Hulk, right? Okay. Like the Incredible Hulk or the Hulk the Wrestler or Okay, all right, good, good. I didn't know what you were watching over there, Rob. Yeah, 
Uh, who else? Uh, any, any other movie stars? L last night they brought up Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I think he became politician or something. Who else? Your mother? Your mother. She's a strong woman. Every way, yes. Hercules, right? Was that, was that from that dinner conversation where they would cheer on Hercules? Hercules, Her no, that was a different movie, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a different movie. When you hear strong, when you, you think of that, that person that comes to your mind, I, I think about single parents, right? Uh, parents were mentioned down front here, and, and the strength, the fortitude that it takes as a, as a single parent in this age, to, to, or any age, to raise a child. I, I think about Jake Yule. He, he plays the keyboard up here, and, and he is a strapping, strong young man. Abdiel, Abdiel's sitting right down front today, and he, he usually has these baby gap shirts on, and the muscles are just, just flowing out of that shirt. And, and all year I encourage him, please wear a sweatshirt. Please wear something baggy so that you don't make us all look bad. If you know Matt Barton, anybody heard of Martin, uh, Barton Dumpster Rentals, right? Matt goes to our church. Oh, that's Jason Toby. He's another one of our guys. But, but I, I think of Matt Barton. I mean, that's Matt, except it's got Jason's face on it. But Matt, Matt is huge, strong. When I think of strong, though, strength and being strong, I'll tell you the first, first person that comes to my mind is Chuck Sparks. Chuck Sparks and the, the strength of character. In fact, that's the second question for you is how do you define strong? Is it qualified as physical strength or mental strength, leadership ability, strength of character? Chuck, one of our elders, Chuck, who not for five years, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, but for 30 years, has been faithful to his wife, faithful to his church, faithful to his role as a, as a leader here. Now, if asked to name the strongest man mentioned in the Bible, what would be your first response? Samson? Uh, would it be Goliath? Right? Goliath, nine feet tall, Right? Had the army of Israel pooping their pants that day, you know, they were scared to death of him, running away. Maybe it would be David. Remember David, who could take a smooth stone and a slingshot and knock this nine-foot giant to the ground and run his own? Would it be Abraham? Abraham, who was asked to, to pack up himself and his family and go to a land that he had never seen before? And, and without any further consideration, he said, yes, Lord, and off he went. One last question. That is, how do you see yourself up against your own definition of what it is to be strong? Do you fit your own definition of strength? Now, I bring this up because all of the accounts that we've looked at, and certainly the account that we're going to look at today of the ancients, all the way to you and I, today, we see God using ordinary people who have a perspective, who have an idea about what strength is, about what courage is, about what it is to live free. And that vision that they have is often, most of the time, there's a disconnect between the way we see strength ourselves and the way that God has defined it and the way that God wants us to live in it. And in Judges chapter 13, Samson's disconnect in the definition of what it is to be strong 
is very, very clear. And that's where I want us to look today, beginning in verse 1. We get this introduction again. Again, the Israelites, God's people, again, they fell away. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what happens in your life when you give yourself over and over again to yourself, to that addiction, when you give yourself over to just living the way that you want to live outside of God's commands, what happens? Well, eventually, God, being the loving, gracious God who doesn't control you at all, who gives you free choice, free will, he hands you over. That's what you want. Go ahead and live in it. And that's what he models throughout the entire Old Testament with the Israelites. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over, in this case, to the Philistines. Not just for a short period of time, but for 40 years. God's nation, Israel, handed over to the Philistines. In verse 3, we discover that the person that God is going to be pointing, choosing to point people back to him, this judge, Samson, he chooses to two believers, two parents, who at this time are infertile, they're sterile. And so in verse 3, God, only God can do this. God, the angel of the Lord, appeared to this woman and said, you're sterile and childless, no duh, but you're going to receive, conceive and have a son. And I want you to pay attention to the instructions. Now see to it that you, mom, that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart, devoted to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He will point the people back to God. Now, all of chapter 1 is devoted. All of chapter 1 is used to show us that Samson was born with a purpose, right? Verse 5, set apart to deliver the people back to God. And he was equipped this way. For Samson, for Samson, he was given believing parents. He was given parents that saw, found favor, like Mary in the New Testament, favor in God's eyes. God came to them and said, you've been chosen. I'm going to allow you to have a child, and, and that child's going to be set apart. I, I want that child to live under what's been described in the Old Testament as a Nazarite vow, no haircut. And they, it describes all the things, no fermented drink, right, no partying, set apart, devoted to me. All of these external things about Samson, right, that point to the inward change that God would make in his life. But Samson couldn't seem to see past himself long enough to remain faithful to God, and that's what we're about to see. Now, whether you were conceived outside of marriage or you were raised in a home where Christ, where God was not honored, Maybe you grew up in a home like I did where God was the center, where God was above everything. Whatever your background, you need to know that you were conceived, you were allowed to be here, created by God for a purpose. You were born by the will of God 
for his specific purpose. Just like Samson, and that purpose is to glorify who? God. To point the world back to him. In this case, Samson to point the Israelites back to God. Verse 24, what God had promised to Samson's parents came true. The woman gave birth to a boy. She named him Samson. He grew, and what happened? The Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Uh, that's a unique word, isn't it? Stir. But how many of us in this room have felt God stir in us or around us at some point? There's something that leads us to him. I tell the story over and over again. Growing up at the age of 10, sitting in the third row back at my home church for three or four weeks, just coming to tears, feeling that pull that I needed to surrender my life to the Lord. I, I had a great conversation with a new friend some time ago. And he was telling me about how he was stirred. He didn't grow up in church, didn't have a relationship with God. But when a job was lost, he found himself, interestingly, wanting to pray. And to say, God, I, I need you to help me with this. And, and surprisingly, to his surprise, for the same day, he gets a call. Has an opportunity for another job. He's in a relationship with just a, a great woman, but they aren't married. And, and he feels God stirring him. You need to marry this woman. So he marries her. Sometime later, he, he feels that, that he needs to be in church. And so he starts coming to church and, and he's sitting in that row like I was. And he, and he feels these tears come and he's not a man to cry, just like me. It takes several hits of the hammer to make me cry. But he finds these tears, and he comes to the realization that he needs to devote himself. He needs to lay himself at Jesus' feet, and he was baptized. All of us have been stirred in some way by God. The question is, is how are we responding now, now, Samson, Samson, he had been stirred by God. And chapter 14 answers this question in Samson's life. Samson ignores it. He ignores his parents' faith. He ignores the stirring of God in his own life. In fact, he goes the opposite direction. He goes down. In fact, I want you to underline this every time you see it here in the next few chapters. Look at verse 1, chapter 14. Samson went down. Samson went down to town and saw there a young Philistine woman. She was a hottie. He went back home and he said to his mom and dad, I've seen a Philistine woman in town. Now get her for me as my wife. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You go get her for me. Spoiled boy. You go get her for me as my wife. Now strong by definition. Strong by definition means to be aggressive and brave and courageous, determined, even feisty, able to withstand great force or pressure. And right off the bat, we see Samson living in half of the definition of strong. He was aggressive. He was to the point. He saw something he wanted, and he told his mommy and daddy to go get it for him. He went for it. Now, do you consider yourself 
a strong person? And what definition of strong do you use? I don't mean strong like the guys who can curl 150 pounds or, or the girls like my wife that can run a, a marathon one weekend and the next weekend run a two-mile run up in the mountains of Arizona with bobcats and snakes and all those things sleeping out there in a tent. I'm talking about normal human beings when desires well up, you have the strength of character. You have the strength to be able to withstand the pressure of wanting to fill those desires yourself. The strength that you are determined, no matter what, to keep yourself in alignment with God's commands because you know you're confident that what God wants for you is far better than anything you can get for yourself. You see, as believers, this is something I, I've, I've tried to impress on my daughter through this whole This whole series was written from a daddy to his daughter. It just happens to apply to all of us. But what I want her to understand is we're called to be strong, but not in a way that you would at first expect. Certainly not the way the world defines. In the New Testament letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, he spends the first several chapters describing how we're called to faithful obedience. 41 times, 41 imperatives he gives those who would set out to follow Christ. Speak truth to your neighbor. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Children, obey your parents. Parents, raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Love your wife. Respect your husband. And in chapter 6, verse 10, after this exhaustive list of what it is to faithful obedience, Paul describes the strength needed. He doesn't say muster up all the strength you can from inside of you. He says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, his mighty power. You see, strong in the Lord means that we are reliant on God, not us. The world says that strength comes from within yourself. Just muster it up. Get ready for the fight. But in the next verse, the Apostle Paul explains that the real fight is not a physical battle. The real fight is a spiritual battle. And it's not just with your inner being. It is a spiritual battle against the demons, the forces of this world. It's a battle that we cannot win on our own. It's a battle that's waged by Satan himself. And so he says, you need to be reliant on the Lord. And you know the rest of the chapter, that's where he says, you need to put on your breastplate. You need to put on the helmet of truth, right? You need to gird yourself up, be reliant on the Lord. It also means to be strong in the Lord, and, and that means that you have to actually be in the Lord. What's that mean? 22 times in the same, in the same epistle, the same letter. It means that we, that we are in Christ. We are in him, and we're only in him if we've turned our life over to him, if we've surrendered like my friend in Christian baptism, and he lives in us, his holy Spirit, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In chapter 14, verse 2, we see the world's definition of strong all over Samson. Now, get her for me as a wife. 
I want you to look at what verse 3 says. It says, Mom and Dad tried to redirect him to God's will. Isn't there somebody that shares our faith that you could marry? Even a distant relative, right? Can't be first cousins, but maybe fourth or fifth cousins on the married side of the family. Isn't there someone? And Samson's response, which by the way, that's a command for us even today. It's been pushed way to the side. And we see the results of it every day. In all of our families, when you marry someone outside of the faith, right, we're not to be unequally joined with people outside of the faith because it brings, it brings trouble. Same was true for Samson. But Samson says, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And no truer words could be spoken for Samson. It was all about him. But he was yet to see that his life had a purpose beyond himself. In verse 4, the writer gives us this insight. It says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, I want to make sure this is clear. God did not want Samson to marry a Philistine. That was part of the vow. He did not want Samson to marry a Philistine. He did not plan all of that out and lay it all out, but God foreknew. God knew that this is what Samson would choose, and he knew that he could work with that. Just like all the times in your life and mine, when we've chosen to live outside of God's commands, when we've defined strong as being a strong-willed, strong, able-bodied person, and we do things on our own, God still, God still accomplishes what he wants. And, that, and that's the next point. And that is we are not strong enough to change God's plan. God's plan was that Samson, through whatever means, that he would lead the Israelites back to him, or at least he would begin that process, it says. And you and I, God's purpose for us to glorify him, we're not strong enough to change his plan, but we do have to deal with the consequences of our choices. And sometimes those consequences are severe. Now, in verse 5, we see one of the reasons why Samson, why, why someone shouted out Samson, because he's known for his physical strength. He's traveling with his parents. He's traveling with his parents when suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. Verse 6 says, I want you to underline this again. It says what? It says, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, anybody torn a young goat in half? I, I, I don't know what that means, but apparently it's easier than tearing a lion in half because that's what Samson did, as if it were just a young goat. Best thing I've ever done is thrown a cat, right? I, I, well, I won't go there. One of the kids made a cat, uh, a cat pie last night and named it after me. It was a rhubarb pie, so it had red all over it, and it said, I got run over by Pastor Dave. Some of you might remember that. The Spirit of the Lord... Now, notice God's spirit isn't living inside of Samson, but God allowed his spirit to rest on Samson for a particular purpose. And this particular purpose was to spare Samson's life. How many times before you became a Christ follower can you look back at your life 
And now see the times that God spared you when your life should have been taken. Whether it's the choices that you made, you, you drank so much that you, you blacked out and you should have died from the liver poisoning. That maybe you got in the car with someone who'd been drinking and a terrible accident happened and everyone else's life was taken, but yours was spared. For, for some reason, what was that? Many of us can look back and see that while we had not accepted God's invitation to live inside of us, God chose to, to spare us. Now, this lion and the supernatural strength that God's spirit delivered through Samson was just that. It was an opportunity for Samson, just like ours were, it was an opportunity for him to see God, to experience God, yet Samson hid it from his parents. Why? Samson went on to go back to that same carcass. Again, something that was against his vow, unclean, a dead piece of meat. He went back to that carcass. Boy, he was brazen. He was stupid. But he went back to that carcass, and, and in there was a, 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 a bee's nest and a honeycomb. And he reached in, and, 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 you know, being the man that he was, he reached in, and he took out the honey, and, and he took it to his parents, but he didn't tell them where it came from. Why did he keep it a secret? Because he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong, yet he did it. He did it anyway. And, and if you look, the next couple of chapters, this is what we see Samson repeat over and over again. He marries a Philistine woman. They have a seven-day drunken party to celebrate Samson, full of himself. And while, they're, while he's having a party, guess what his wife's doing? She's already hooked up with his best man and attended in their wedding. Some of you have lived this in your life. He starts making these wagers. I bet you, I bet you that you can't figure out this riddle. If you do, well, I'll give you this. If you don't, then you're going to give me this. And all the while, he's going down. Things got so bad in Samson's life. In chapter 15, verse 12, he stirred up so much trouble, not just with the Philistines, but... The Israelites were getting nervous. He represented them, and all he was doing was stirring up the Philistines. It says in verse 12, chapter 15, that 3,000 Israelite men came and tied Samson up and delivered him themselves to the Philistines. They wanted to be done with him. Yet in verse 14 and 15, what happens? The Spirit of the Lord came on Samson, and he broke free from the ropes, and he went on to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And then it says, for the next 20 years, Samson led Israel in the day of the Philistines. Now, this is the first word mentioned so far about Samson fulfilling his role of leading the Israelites. Have you noticed that? Every time the Spirit of the Lord came on to him, it was to spare him because he had brought up more trouble for himself than what he could handle. Think about the wasted potential. The wasted potential. I often say of folks that want to wait until their deathbed to make a profession of Christ. Will you be in heaven? 
Absolutely, that God's assurance. He said, you believe in me by faith, you're going to be saved. But what they miss out on is an entire lifetime here of the joy of serving him, of feeling his power surge through your life when you're too weak to do things on your own. Well, in chapter 18, 16, excuse me, things went from bad to worse. Verse 1 says, one day Samson again went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. He wasn't just looking for a place to stay. He was looking for action. It says, when the people of the town heard that he was there, they assembled a team. Now, these are Philistines. They assembled a team to kill him the next morning. Verse 3 says, but Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Something got him up. And he went out, and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. Now, when I read this, the first thing that came to my mind was, that's dumb. What's, what's this? Why go out and just rip up some gates and throw them aside? Is it temper tantrum? What, what is it? But then I saw what was missing. Anybody notice what's missing from this? Yes, Samson has put himself in a bad spot again. That, that's happened every time, right? But what's missing? Spirit of the Lord. All the other times it says the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson. This time, he's alone. And here's the lesson. Willful disobedience will always erode our strength. Every choice that we make outside of God's commands, every choice will weaken us. It will lead to more compromise until even our personal strength is gone. Verse 4. Samson falls in love with Delilah. Now, this is one of the most famous parts of his story, right? Another Philistine woman. He fell in love with a woman in the valley whose name was Delilah. Now, Delilah is the one who sold Samson out for money. Delilah's the one who would have him lay his head in her lap every night. She'd stroke his hair and she'd say, Honey, if you love me, honey, if you love me, you tell me the secret of your strength. And she'd have a bunch of Philistine men hiding in the other room so that the minute that he told her, and Samson played with her for two or three weeks, he would say, oh, if you do this, then I'll be weak. And, and so she would do that. And she'd say, come in. Uh, the Philistines are upon us, Samson. And, and Samson would jump up and, and undo whatever had been done. And his strength would, would be there. And he'd fight off the Philistines. And, and then she'd come crying back to him. I mean, this man was numb. I mean, nothing. She did this over and over again. But don't we do that? Don't we do that sometimes? But finally, in verse 17, she wore him down, and this is what he said. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Samson believed that the source of his strength was in his hair, in these outward things. He still didn't get it. 
That very night, as Samson laid his head in Delilah's lap and went to sleep, she called in the men from the other room, the Philistines. They came in and shaved his head. They bound him up. They even poked both of his eyeballs out. They took him and they put him in a prison cell where he was to grind wheat. And true to Samson's own words, he was now weak as any other man. All of that supernatural strength was gone. Now, several years ago, I was introduced to a distant relative, distant, distant, several cousins down. I was introduced to a relative, and when I met him, I realized right away from his physique that what he said was true. He was an Olympic hopeful. He had trained all of his teenage years and young adult years to be in the, in the Olympics for bodybuilding, body sculpting. And this man was built. I mean, looked like Matt Barton did in that picture, except he always had a, had a shirt on. But he was so strong that his arms would stick out like this. Everywhere he walked, it was, it was like this. And several years went by, maybe 10, and the next time I saw him was at a distance. He had been hired as a guard in the federal building where I was working at the time. And I saw him from a distance, and, and I hollered out his name, and he responded. So I walked up to him, and the first thing that I noticed were the muscles weren't real anymore. He was wearing a bodysuit. How could I tell? Well, his arms were as small as mine. The bodysuit actually didn't even fit his body. I, I could see his scrawny little chest under Underneath is this suit, this bodysuit just just hung on him. He was half the man or a third of the man that he used to be. Now listen to what Jesus says. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. He'll accomplish the purpose that I've set for him. Apart from me, he can't do anything. If anyone doesn't remain in me, if he doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. This is how it was for Samson. Samson's eyes were gone. He was bound up, strength completely gone. Just a fraction of the man that he once appeared to be, and I say appeared to be, because outwardly, outwardly he was strong, but inside he was wasting away every time that he separated himself from God. Every choice. And verse 20 says, it's the saddest verse in Samson's life, but verse 20 says that he didn't even know that the Lord had left him. <laughs> the Lord left him. Now, this would have been the end of the story except for verse 22. And this is the part you remember, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's perhaps the most important point in Samson's sad story. Only in death. Only in death is it too late to again be strengthened by the Spirit of God. It's only in death, but don't wait, because in death it's too late. Verse 25, the Philistines that God had purposed Samson to, to lead the Israelites out from under, the Philistines who had now captured Samson, stripped him of his strength, so they thought... Right? They brought him in and they paraded him around. They paraded him around in the temple. And you say, oh, the temple? Yeah, the temple to their God, their little G God. 
They prayed him around. It was packed. It says all the rulers, all the Philistine rulers were there enjoying the show. In fact, on top of the temple, there were over 3,000 men and women that were up there watching the show, just jeering him on. In verse 28, it says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Another first. Never in all of these chapters of Samson's life have we once seen Samson pray. Once turned to God. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. Verse 29 says, Samson had himself placed between the two supporting columns of the entire temple. And as Samson prayed this prayer, he said, Lord, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed those two columns apart. And what happened? The entire temple collapsed, killing everyone inside and those on the roof. And verse 30 says, Thus Samson killed many more when he died than while he lived. Now, one of the things that I wrestled most with, I told Nancy Stone this this week. I was kind of hoping she'd help me, but she didn't. But one of the things that I struggled with was reconciling this Samson with Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known by, as what we call the hall of faith. Uh, that's where people like Abraham are listed for their faith, right? By faith. Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Moses. Moses, who was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, refused to be known as Pharaoh's son. Pharaoh's daughter's son. And then in verse 32, it says, the author says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Samson, why is Samson there? Why? And then I turn the page. Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets whose weakness was turned to strength. Whose weakness was turned to strength. And finally, there it was, Nancy. There it was. The first time that Samson prays. He recognizes that his strength was only in and through the Lord. No other source of strength. That's why he's mentioned, is because his weakness was turned by God into strength. As Samson, in that one act, in that one moment, finally did something that began to lead the Israelites back to him. Oh, God, oh, sovereign God, remember me. Now, listen, God created you for a purpose. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he created you for a purpose. Some of you he has protected over and over Again, he has been patient with you that you would turn to him and call out for him, not just for strength in whatever catastrophe you brought to your own life, 
but that you would cry out to him for the strength to align yourself with his commands and to live and fulfill the purpose he has for you. Some of you, some of us, have come to that point, whether the hard way or the easy way. I came to it mostly through the easy way. And you recognize that all the strength that you need for life comes from who? It comes from the Lord. And so we have reason to celebrate that today. That gives us great encouragement, great hope that no matter the storm in life, God lives within you and me. He secures our salvation, and he will give us the strength to make it through this life to the new life with him in heaven. But for others of you in this room and maybe you watching online, it's time for you before it's too late. Even if you have reached the very bottom of bottoms like Samson, it's okay. You do what Samson did. You cry out to God, oh, sovereign God, will you remember me? Will you remember me? Will you, will you give me strength to be able to face not just what's ahead of me, but to face myself and the consequences of my past, that I could live strong today in you. If you're strong in the Lord, I, I want you to stand right now. If your strength is in the Lord, I want you to stand. And I don't want anybody looking around to who's not standing because everybody's going to stand up, right? But you know who you are. Today's your opportunity. As we finish out this amazing, amazing series, close the gap between how you define strength in your life and the way that God does. The way to close it's through Jesus Christ. Come as we sing.